Your source for community. Muskoka-made talk shows are on Muskoka Magazine, The Bay 88.7. Hey, this is Dr. Shervin. Muskoka Magazine is brought to you by Dairy Lane Dental, keeping Muskoka smiling for over 30 years. Please visit DairyLaneDental.com. This is Touching the Past with your host, Trisha Markle. Your source for community. Muskoka-made talk shows are on Muskoka Magazine, The Bay 88.7. Hey, this is Dr. Shervin. Muskoka Magazine is brought to you by Dairy Lane Dental, keeping Muskoka smiling for over 30 years. Please visit DairyLaneDental.com. This is Touching the Past with your host, Trisha Markle. My name is Trisha Markle, and this is Touching the Past, a program where we look at the heritage of Huntsville and area, its past and not too distant past. The building that this program is being recorded in is 40 Main Street West and is the home of everyone's favourite Hunters Bay Radio. There are many heritage buildings remaining in Huntsville, and all we have to do is take a little time to discover the history behind them. For 40 Main Street, we go back to before it was even built to begin the story. George Sunderland Wilgris was born in England, the son of a retired British Army officer. The family emigrated to Canada in 1873, settling in Coburg. The family must have been financially comfortable, as George attended the prestigious Upper Canada College. This was one of the first institutions of secondary education, founded by Lord Seton, Lieutenant Governor of Upper Canada. And it was basically a prep school for King's College, which soon became the University of Toronto. Completing his law degree at this university, he was called to the bar in 1887. Little information exists as to why George chose to start his career in Huntsville, but he moved here and started his practice. I was unable to discover precisely where in town he originally had his offices. In 1893, George bought Part Lot 15, Plan 1 of Huntsville from John Scarlett. In 1894, the Great Fire of Huntsville occurred, destroying most of the town, although being an empty lot, it did not cause a problem for George. Rebuilding of the town began at once, and George commissioned William Proudfoot, a local architect, to design a house and offices for him in 1895. His piece of property near the bridge was like much of the area, mostly rock, and blasting was required to make way for the new build. A lovely two-storey building was erected with field stone foundation and the building clad in local red brick veneer as the new bylaw required following the fire. Stone sills highlighted arched windows which were consistent elements in the common designs of the time. The lowest storey housed his offices and the upper area was a spacious apartment with windows overlooking the Muskoka River. The address is 94 Main Street East but even today is known as the Wilgris Building. Now George had built himself a home. He is ready to marry. In 1900, he marries Anne Francis, daughter of Fred Francis, local constable, undertaker and builder. Before her marriage, Anne had been a teacher at Huntsville Public School, 
but as a married woman, she could no longer teach. George was a busy lawyer and was active and well-liked member of the All Saints Anglican Church. He was well-versed in the ancient classics and much admired by his peers. Annie was also active in the church, paying special attention to the girls' auxiliary. George and Annie had a modest frame house built in the classic style on Main Street overlooking Hunter's Bay. That was and is number 40 Main Street West. George continued his practice out of his original offices up until May 1st, 1924. At the end of April 1924, Annie was taken ill at home. The doctor was called and even with the best medical care, she died the following Wednesday at noon. A Mr. Gladscott, who was staying at the house, died the same evening. George, also ailing, died on Friday morning at 9am. They were all diagnosed with pneumonia, but chances are, with the circumstances, it was most probably carbon monoxide poisoning. Headlines in the forest are read. Huntsville family suffers deep loss, one of the saddest tragedies Huntsville has ever experienced. The Wilgus building did not remain empty very long, as on May the 8th, Ken A. McHaffey bought the practice and moved his law offices there. Another part of the history of 40 Main Street begins well before it's built, and at first appears to have no connection to the story. Lumbering began in earnest in 1850s, when the huge stands of white pine encouraged the lumber companies to move north. They had already depleted the resources in southern and eastern Ontario, and were anxious to find a new area to make their money from, starting with the areas around Georgian Bay. By the early 1870s, companies had begun to cut around this area, but were still moving their timber through Lake Vernon, the Muskoka River, then through to Lake Muskoka and on to the Musquatch River. That was a 75-mile journey to the nearest mill. There were many mills in the Huntsville area, like Hunts, Fetterley's and Stevenson Mills, but these were small-scale and only equipped to handle settlers' needs. The railway increased the number of mills considerably, and by 1887 there were at least 17 companies working the bush in the Huntsville area, cutting 214 million board feet of timber. Most of this softwood, while large stands of maple and yellow birch were largely ignored. In 1901, the owners of the Hannah Hutchison store, later's Wardell's and now Algonquin Outfitters, moved into the woodworking business by purchasing the Craddock Wood Turning Company. They continued to lease the property from him, but, imp but imported the latest equipment from the US and proceeded to make and sell over 50 types of product including toys, broom and shovel handles, and brushes. The company was successful enough to send R.J. Hutchison, the partner in Hannah Hutchison, his brother, William, over to England to open up new markets. The reason that the stands of maple and yellow birch were left was because they would not float like softwood, and there was no other way than by water to get large amounts of locks to a sawmill. R.J. Hutchison hit on the idea whether his own or from elsewhere, that if hardwoods were peeled and left to dry, they too could be floated to the mills. In 1902, his present company needed to expand, and R.J. took over the old Whaley Lumber Company property. Whaley had been one of the original larger mills around, but had ceased business. 
the new company was to be called Muskoka Wood Manufacturing. Several local people invested in the new company. Dr. Hart, Dr. Hilliard, whose family had come from Ireland with the Hutchesons, the Argyle sisters from New York, who were related to the Hungerfords of Lumina Resort, were all shareholders. Immediately on acquisition of the Whaley property and sawmill on Hunters Bay, they built a hardwood flooring plant. This product took care of all the wood with knots in it, while the clear wood was easier to market for use in furniture and other industries, such as car frames and bodies for wagons and trucks. The plant made the potential for hardwood harvesting much greater and also opened the door for other sawmill operators to sell their knotty boards to Muskoka Wood. The town was quite pleased at the new enterprise and offered Hutchison a tax exemption, only to be surprised when the offer was turned down. RJ wanted the town to extend the new water lines to Muskoka Wood. Not being recognised as a town at this time, council had no authority to do this. Hutchison's fight for water mains to the mill lasted until 1908, when this was finally accomplished. In business, they say timing is everything, and Muskoka Wood arrived at the right time. In 1868, free land grants opened up the area. These land grants came with caveats. 15 acres of land must be cleared and a dwelling constructed within five years. Settlers, not being able to accomplish the land clearing, called on the lumber companies to help. Free land grant holders were also able to buy more land at 50 cents an acre, and the logging companies let it be known they would buy any and all land for a dollar an acre. This is how many logging companies acquired large tracts of land. Much of the land they purchased in the early 1920s by Muskoka Wood at a cost of a dollar an acre. And if by 1955 there was still a lot of land available at that price. The company accumulated a tremendous amount of land, approximately 100,000 acres around Bella and Rebecca Lakes, Findlayson and Sinclair, as well as six more townships and Crown Timber rights in limits in Bethune, McCraney, Proudfoot, Hunter, Peck and Butt Townships. The Hutchison family did have rules when it came to cutting timber. Nothing was to be cut right down to the lake or river shoreline, perhaps so tourists could still see the beauty of Muskoka. But most timber cut from these places was floated to the mill on waterways, mainly on the Big East watershed, through a series of dams owned at the time by the Big East River Improvement Company, which was in turn was owned proportionally by Huntsville Lumber, Bethune Lumber and Muskoka Wood Products. This mode of transporting logs lasted until 1935, when trucks and mechanisation took over. Eventually the company became entirely owned by R.J., Frank W., Harry M. and R. Arthur, all Hutchesons. R.J.'s insistence that the future of the lumber industry and also the town would depend on hardwood proved correct, as the pine had all but disappeared. Muskoka Wood proved to be a profitable venture. May 29, 1922, catastrophe hit when fire broke out at the sawmill. Firemen arrived on the scene quickly, but even with the water mains close at hand, there was just too much flammable material and the whole plant went up in smoke. The wind carried embers, caused, causing several buildings in town to catch fire, but all were saved. Great effort was made to save the neighbouring Anglo-Canadian 
tannery from a similar feat. As the manufacturer of red deer flooring and the largest plant of its kind in Canada, R.J. Hutchison estimated the loss to be $200,000. The loss to the town was greater. As the second largest employer, it put many men out of work. We'll take a break here, but we'll be back shortly to finish our story. Your collection of Muskoka-based talk shows. Muskoka Magazine, The Bay, 88.7. I'm Dr. Shervin from Dairy Lane Dental, and you're listening to Muskoka Magazine. This is Touching the Past with your host, Trisha Markle. By Muskoka for Muskoka. Your collection of Muskoka-based talk shows. Muskoka Magazine, The Bay, 88.7. I'm Dr. Shervin from Dairy Lane Dental, and you're listening to Muskoka Magazine. This is Touching the Past with your host, Trisha Markle. Welcome back to Touching the Past. We're looking into the history of 40 Main Street West, but are talking about logging, which will bring us eventually back to this building. To encourage the rebuilding, the town came up with a tax relief plan for Muskoka Wood that would freeze the assessment at $10,000 value for 10 years, and with the promise of better fire protection by increasing the size of water mains to the plant. With, the, with this encouragement, the plant was up and running by February 1923. This is where 40 Main Street rejoins the story. Very shortly after the death of Wilgresses, Muskoka Wood purchased the property from the estate of George Wilgress and moved their offices to the building. Seeing that the mill was below them on the bay, it was a convenient place to have their office. In May 1935, the mill was running 24 hours a day Having taken out 6 billion feet of logs, they also operated a fleet of 20 trucks, employed 300 men, and the plant was operated by a series of steam engines and electric motors, causing this, um, using the sawdust from their operation as fuel. I bet many people remember going to Muskoka Wood to buy what people referred to as kiln-dry, but was really the kiln-dried trimmings of the first cut with, with the bark called slabwood to heat their homes. Even into the 50s, the mill would deliver a horse-drawn wagon load of ordered slab wood to a house. During wartime, Muskoka Wood's expertise in hardwood flooring was in demand. In July 1940, a Mr. Jenkins from Britain's Ministry of Supply used the mill to de demonstrate the best kind of birch to be used in the construction of the Mosquito reconnaissance plane. By 1942, Frank Hutchison was overseeing government contracts through the Timber Control Board, as the mill supplied the hardwood for these planes. At some point, an extension was added to the original Wilgris house that almost doubled the size. This addition remains today. Again, at some point, a second extension was added, but later removed, with no pictures or written information available on it. The name Hutchison appears many times in the story of Huntsville, as well as running one, one of the two largest industries in town, the second being the tannery, Hutchison's were active throughout Huntsville. In fact, Arthur, one of the brothers, was mayor from 1941 to 1943. As they say, all good things come to an end. The changing face of Huntsville can be pointed to the 50s. Cottrell's Mill and the tannery closed. The ear of the lake boats finished. 
and Hutchison sold Muskoka Wood Manufacturing, now known as Muskoka Wood Products, to Hay & Company. Hay & Company were a subsidiary of a U.S. company, the largest play, plywood maker in the world. Hay & Company had been established in the 1890s and was out of Woodstock, Ontario. Mr. J.P. Rogers, as the manager in Huntsville, was the manager in Huntsville and soon occupied the offices at 40 Main Street as the Hutchesons retired from the business. Hay & Company was at some point became a subsidiary of Weldwood, a company formed in 1944 by Vienna-born John Benet, whose family had operated a plywood plant in Budapest. It was formed primarily to be active in BC. As it became more profitable, it started acquiring various other country companies, including Hay & Company. It was basically just a name change when operations began under the Weldwood Canada name. The aging Muskoka wood mill on Hunter's Bay was closed as Weldwood opened a new steam-powered mill north of town. As the as the acquisition of timber became a problem for them, the company started to close mills, both in the east and western Canada, and move into pulp and paper products. In the 1970s and 80s, including their assets in Huntsville, although they retained the lease on 40s Main Street. In 1895, Martin Lubber Company from the Bancroft area purchased the old Muskoka Wood Products facility. Whitney Martin is credited with starting the company in Baptiste Lake by purchasing and rebuilding the Hughes Mill, destroyed by fire in 1930. At one point, G.W. Martin, grandson of the founder, ran nine mills, including ones in Perry Sound and North Bay, and the hardwood flooring plant in Huntsville. Head office was located on Elephant Lake Road in Harcourt, but retained the offices on 40, at 40 Main Street, Huntsville. The flooring plant was then sold to Tembeck in 1989, a Quebec company that had been founded in 1973 by Frank Dotton. In November 2011, Tembeck announced that it was closing the 108-year operation of the hardwood flooring plant in Huntsville, selling it to Vintage Flooring, which was going to relocate it to, Hunts to Toronto. Offices were maintained at 40 Main Street through all the changes and over the years. The interesting part comes now, when ex-manager of the Zeller store in Huntsville decided to purchase 40 Main Street. Jeff Carter bought the building in 1997 and brought SureNet Internet to Huntsville. For the next 16 years, he operated an internet-slash-computer company, but with the dream of opening a community radio station. In 2009, Hunters Bay Radio was launched as an internet radio station, located in the basement of the building. In 2014, it received an FM license and went on the air as CKAR. The studios were moved to the main floor and a performance stage added. Since that time, equipment has been upgraded on a regular basis, with the last major equipment upgrade and building renovations cancelled recently, completed recently. Hunters Bay Radio 88.7 is the only community radio station in the area, supporting many local not-for-profit organisations, including the Hospital, Hospice, The Legion, Muskoka Seniors, and as the Bay Food Crew are committed to supporting local food banks. The Bay also gives the town free concerts and supports music festivals in the area. Locally owned with over 60 volunteers and staff, 
And to paraphrase Tom, Fe- Tom Petty, it may have the last DJs able to program their own music. How appropriate to be recording the history of this building in what was most probably, and I've been told by Jeff that it was the director's office of the 108-year-old Muskoka Manufacturing Company. This has been Trisha Markle. Tune in next time on Hunters Bay Radio 88.7 for another Touching the Past and hear more of our local heritage.